Welcome to episode 49 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. As always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the tune. And we have a great show planned out. We have uh, a seminar that we're going to play that went down in Seattle, uh, one of the grow seminars that we did there as an episode of Free Weed uh, with some illustrious uh, grower guests on that one. We will preview the February 2014 High Times hydro special hydro report issue and uh as always we'll have our wrap it up with raw at the end so please stick around for free weed episode 49 all right welcome to episode 49 and uh we are here with my co-host mike hughes hello everybody welcome to free weed and uh you know we have been traveling quite a bit. We did the Amsterdam Cup, and we had a little company retreat down in Florida with the uh, the normal conference as well. So because of all this, we thought it was the perfect time to bring you a live free weed that we recorded in Seattle. Yes, at the Seattle um, Cannabis Cup that we did just a few months back, we recorded this uh, nice cultivation panel, uh, which went really well. The crowd seemed to enjoy it, so... Uh, we're going to play that for you in its entirety. And we're also excited about uh, the 2014 Hydro, Hydro Report. Uh, that's co-written by Eric Bixa, a hydroponic expert in uh, Vancouver in Canada, and myself. And we basically delve into all the different systems that you can use and different tips and tricks that you can use, as well as some uh, fancy products and techniques for hydroponic growing, which really, if you're going to go big, uh, makes a lot of sense uh, to people, you know, with those large grow rooms that, you know, can't be hauling soil in and out and things like that. So there's also a video that's associated with that article. It's you at Evergreen Health Center in mm-hmm. Washington talking about aeroponics, right? Yeah. And, and just talking about maintaining a, a reservoir and the nutrient solution and what that what that entails, basically the pH, the uh, parts per million of the nutrient and the temperature of that nutrient solution are the three main components. And then if you can aerate that solution, you, you I mean, you have to aerate it, but the more you can aerate it, the better as far as getting dissolved oxygen in there as well. So we talk about all that. We uh, touch on a bunch of uh, new stuff that's out there in the world, as well as, you know, some products that are tried and true. So yeah, that was the Hydro Report. And there's a a, a bunch of other great articles. There's a rig review for people who are into the dabs. There's a review of all the different rigs that you can purchase in order to do those dabs. And uh, there's a great story by my colleague Nico Escondido about growing in Holland, basically how uh, the growers of Amsterdam sort of changed uh, growing techniques in a lot of ways and brought uh, interesting new developments into indoor growing. Um, yeah, a great interview with Jorge Cervantes as well, my mentor, who... Uh, you know, I learned to grow from and, and inherited my uh, 
I call him in the magazine from, and you of just course, gave him the award, the uh, yeah, the I got time to, achievement award in yeah, Amsterdam, and that was very exciting, a great moment for me, uh, just to be able to hand him that and introduce him. Uh, yeah, that was just amazing. That was a once in a lifetime opportunity, and 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 quite fulfilling for me, and I'm sure he enjoyed it as well. I would hope. I would imagine, yeah. Also, our podcast buddy Jen. Uh, from Jen's music stash. Yeah, went to Colorado. Went to Colorado and wrote an article on how to open a pot dispensary. So all the times you guys have asked that question, how do I, how do I go about this? What do I do to open my own dispensary? She, uh, she basically breaks down how to do that in the article it, for uh, for Colorado because it, it's interesting. They have very specific laws in Colorado, so she kind of gets into that. And if you're not a stash listener, please go check that out. Hightimes.com/slash the stash for yeah. some music mm-hmm. and i like this next one inside the pot the anti-pot illuminati yeah that's our editor-in-chief chris simonek uh, he went to, out to that conference uh that they put together of, in california of all places where the basically all the prohibitionists all the people who are against us got together uh to basically discuss how they're going to defeat us and he tried to get in uh long story short uh, you know, read the article. It's very interesting. There was a counter protest that uh, people participated in, and uh, the whole thing was very interesting. They're not giving up too soon, so the fight goes on. And uh, hopefully, you you guys will keep fighting with me. And that's what free weed is all about. This isn't just about growing. This is about politics. So yeah, but very solid issue. I, I really like this one. It's got a lot of great content. So uh, you could find it online. You could find it at newsstands near you. So check it out. February 2014. Yeah. Yep. Zinio.com. For you guys who are listening in places where you cannot get High Times magazine, let's say you're in Australia, New Zealand, someplace where it's just prohibitive for us to ship to, check out Zinio.com or go on your smartphone and look up for the Zinio app. Uh, particularly, we were just looking at it on an iPad and it is amazing. You can zoom in on the bud shots. You can read all the valuable information that we have in there. You can basically subscribe to High Times no matter where you are in the world through Zinio.com or through the Zinio app on your smartphone, your tablet, wherever it might be. Yeah, you can make like notes. You could bookmark things. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, man, you can search for certain words. If you're looking for something in particular, you can search through your whole archive for, you know, uh, pH or, or whatever words you might be looking for. So it's it's a very valuable resource, and we actually plan on getting all of our issues up there eventually, all the way back to 1974, because uh, you know next year is our 40 year anniversary, and one of our one of our goals is to get all of our issues archived up there uh, for people to read all the way back to the beginning. And we have a bunch. I mean, we go back to something like 07 or 08 on Zinio. So check them out, you know, download the ones you like, subscribe if you want. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great resource. And when when Dan says prohibitive for us to ship to, it, it is literally uh, illegal for us to send stuff to Australia, right? right we right. can't there, sell the magazine. Sure. There. There's places where we're banned and stuff. If you are in a place where you cannot get High Times magazine in print form, um, please check out Zinio because we have really cool digital versions of the mag and we're looking into putting videos in there and all kinds of interactive ways uh, to you know make it more uh, 
What's awesome. The word? Yeah, awesome, I yeah. guess, is the word. Or interactive. Yeah, or, a more complete experience with the multimedia. Yeah, I mean, I checked out National Geographic out on there, and it, it was fantastic. So check them out. Yeah, so that's the February issue. We should also just say we want to get to this panel. We want to let you hear all that grow info. But congratulations to Ur- uh, Uruguay. I mean, that's pretty amazing. First country to Huge. legalize marijuana. Yeah, absolutely. Uruguay, I've been hearing about for years now. And, uh, yeah, congratulations to them. They've really set up a system where hopefully they'll be uh, a model for South America and the rest of the world at some point. And so kudos to them and congratulations on uh, a sensible marijuana policy. You could just walk into a pharmacy and buy up to almost an ounce and a half. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. So. And they kept the prices low, which really is low. important, too. Yeah. yeah. So. The, the tide is turning. I mean, every day you turn around and there's more good news with marijuana laws. It's just great. So, no, absolutely. You know, even Indiana, they just did a poll. The majority of people in Indiana support regulating and taxing marijuana. Excellent. Keep the ball rolling, people. All right. What do you say we go on to this panel? Let's do you that. You want to tell the people a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, it's some interesting people. We did a couple of panels. This one has Kay from Tricom Technologies, Brett from Apothecary, Scott from Rare Dankness, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Miller from Cannabis Farmers Market, uh, our, our old friend Iggs from uh, Maine Indoor Garden Supply, and uh, Junior from the world-famous Cannabis Club, uh, Cannabis Cafe. So it's an interesting discussion. We talk a lot about uh, the basics of cannabis growing, and then we get into some uh, some of the more deeper aspects as well as taking some questions from the crowd. So without further ado, I will underscore my cues when I say, let's take, <laughs> let's check out the panel. Yeah. And we'll be back to wrap it up with Raw, so stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a live recording of Free Weed from Danny Danko. All right. Welcome, guys. Uh, this, is a, Welcome. this is a podcast we do about cultivation, and uh, we've, we've gotten to do some live ones lately, and we're yep. happy to be here in Seattle for this second year. Yeah, this is amazing, so uh, give yourselves a hand. I really appreciate you guys being here and uh, having us in your town. Right on. We um, have a, a wonderful panel here. We do. We have a great, illustrious uh, panel of illustrious, experts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so without further ado... I'm going to start introducing people so we can get down and talk about uh, some cannabis cultivation. Um, to my right, to Mike's right, is Kay from Tricom Technologies. He was up here with us yesterday, and uh, he is a consultant working in the industry of uh, warehouse grow rooms, grow rooms the size of this room and larger. And uh, it's a whole different world that's opening up right now in Colorado, in Israel, in California, in Seattle. So um, we're going to talk to him about growing big and what that entails. So welcome, Kay. (laughs) To his right, uh, Apothecary Genetics, Brett from Apothecary. He's a Cannabis Cup winner with the Kaya Kush and the creator of uh, some pretty amazing genetics out of NorCal. Uh, And cultivator of an excellent beard as well. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's been in this industry for a long, long time, uh, 
cohort of Mr. Eddie Lepps and uh, Mr. Jack Herrer and a lot of the people who were uh, involved early on in the legalization movement and also in the cultivation as a political act movement. And that's an important thing because cultivation is a political act. Every, every ounce, every gram, every pound that you create is is something new that you're bringing to the table that you can choose to sell for a high price, you can choose to give away, you can choose to make into oil, but whatever it is, it's, an, it's a political act. You've created something out of nothing. So we're going to talk about that as well. So thank you, Brett. Uh, to his right, Scott from Rare Dankness. This is a, uh, a company that has made quite a splash in the last couple of years with uh, numerous cannabis cups, uh, one in Amsterdam uh, for Sativa, I believe, and one in Cali for Indica. So uh, he knows his growing and he knows his strains, and they are growing really big in Colorado. He's taken me on some tours of really massive facilities, greenhouses, uh, light depth type situations that are going to lower the price of cannabis way below uh, what people are used to, and that's, that's part of what free weed is all about. So thank you, Scott. <laughs> to Scott's right, uh, Jeremy Miller. He is uh, from the famous cannabis uh, farmer's market here and uh, a big-time activist uh, in charge of Olympia Hemp Fest as well. And uh, so we're going to talk about the particular growing conditions of the Pacific Northwest and how you can avoid some of the pitfalls of growing in this area because you, it comes with a unique set of circumstances in particular humidity issues and stuff, so we'll talk with him about that. To his right... Wait, what do we say about this next guest? <laughs> second, uh, second appearance on Free Week. That's true. Yeah? That's true. He was on with Dr. Lester Grinspoon on uh, episode two or three, I think. Yeah. We, we, it is Iggs, Iggy from uh, Maine Indoor Garden Supply. He's a grower in Maine, um, caregiver and producer, and he also has a grow shop out there, so we're going to talk to him a bit about... Uh, growing in northern climates and high altitudes and stuff like that uh, and the unique things that you do to, to pull that off. So thank you, Welcome Iggy. back, Iggs. <laughs> and finally, uh, last but not least, to his right, we have Junior Raphael from the world-famous Cannabis Cafe and also the National Dabs Association. <laughs> Is that right? National Dab Association, uh, an entry into the cup and a... Uh, uh, if you're ever in Portland, you have to check out uh, the world-famous Cannabis Cafe. It's like a home away from home for me and uh, a lot of people. So thank you, Raphael. Welcome. All right, so uh, a little bit later in the seminar, we're going to be taking some of your questions. So if you have any grow-related questions you'd like to ask the group, uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But first, uh, Dan and the panel are just going to go through some cultivation basics. So you want to take it away? Yeah, yeah, and I think we should basically start at the beginning um, with germination and genetics uh, in general, seeds and clones, and maybe, uh, Raphael, if you could uh, start off and tell us a little bit about uh, starting from seeds and maybe a little bit about rooting clones as well. Well... Uh, out in Oregon, we do a lot of cloning, you know, because of the weather and whatnot. It's easier to clone and get your rooting system done inside and then put your plants outside. That way you have bigger plants. So come harvest time for us in October, which is kind of iffy for some plants, um, you got them nice and big. 
you know. So uh, seeding, though, Subby's a really good friend of mine, and seed's the way to go for us also, us outdoor guys, if we want strong genetics. We want to get our plants and have them have really strong genetics and get the big fat roots out of them. Seed's the way to go. So for me, I'm old school. I do the seeds in a paper towel. Paper towel and put them between two plates. <laughs> and about four or five days, I got a nice little root and put that in some dirt. So I'm an old school dirt guy. And that's a moist paper towel. Yeah, it's a moist paper towel. You got to keep an eye on it. Once it dries out and your seed goes dry, it's, it's gone. Just put it away and get a new one. <laughs> you know, toss that out. You know, and, and personally, I do about two or three seeds. Let that grow out and then, you know, clone them and see if they're going to be females or males from there and determine if I like them. Cool, cool. Um, Iggy, what uh, insights do you have on either growing from seeds or rooting clones? Well, the first thing that's coming to mind uh, is a common mistake that I see from a lot of newbies when they're taking uh, cuttings, and that's the treatment of your mother plants. A lot of people feel that when they don't need to take a cutting because they don't need to introduce a new plant into their cycle yet, they let the mothers just grow. And if you do this, you end up having really tall moms that you have to cut back. So what I'm thinking is make sure your canopy level is always level with your mothers when you take your cuttings. And take cuttings whether you need to or not because the mothers need to remain stout. Nice, nice. Um, Jeremy, any... uh specific things about the Pacific Northwest and uh, either rooting uh, clones or starting seeds? <clears throat> Obviously, in the, the Pacific Northwest, we have humidity up here, if you haven't noticed. If you're not from around here, I'm sure you have already. Uh, so that's always a factor, um, dealing with humidity um, with clones and everything. I always uh, have a dehumidifier in all my grow rooms, all my gardens, when I'm curing my cannabis and stuff like that. There's just too much humidity in this area. So if you're not using a dehumidifier, I'd definitely do that. I mean, when I, I start my seeds, I just start them in a rapid rooter cube. Just put them right in there, and they'll pop right out of there. Um, you could just buy one of those 50 trays if you want. If Most people aren't going to start that many seeds, so you might want to just grab the small pack, um, start about six of them, see what they root out. And like Raphael said, uh, take some clones off them, sex them out, see what you have. <clears throat> to uh, to work with, you know, and then once you're bloom them, then you can pick your phenotypes from there for sure. Yeah, it's important what he's saying about uh, taking a cutting of your seedling to find out if it's male or female rather than actually flowering the seedling and then having to bring it back into the vegetative cycle. You've already stressed the plant out at that point. So uh, taking a clone and flowering the clone is a perfect way to know what you're going to get from that plant without ever having to flower the actual plant that you took the cutting from. And uh, as well as the humidity issue, he's discussing, Scott, I think in Colorado, you guys have the opposite issue. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a dry, high desert in Colorado. Uh, you know, the biggest mistake that we see from people, uh, you know, coming from Florida or coming from the, the West Coast is uh, they don't understand how to wean uh, their clones off of humidity into that dry environment. You know, all the time I hear people like, you know, I had my clones for 14 days and they were perfect. You know, I had little rain droplets all inside my dome. Uh, and then you, you know, you bring them out and within six hours they just, you know, transpire and shrivel up. So there's a, there's a definite, you know, method to the madness you have to have to get them in, used to that really, really dry environment. 
So how, uh, how do you avoid having that transition be a problem? I mean, you take 48 hours and over, you know, every six hours you increase the amount of airflow that's going through that dome so that the plants slowly, you know, adapt to it. Um, nowadays with the, the turbo cloners and stuff, um, it, it's even more of an uh, uh, important to have your just environment in your room be really good because the second you take those clones and they go into the turbo cloner without a dome on it, I mean, those things will shrivel up within a, you know, a matter of minutes. So uh, environment's always really, really, really key. You know, too little environment, your clones don't survive. Too much environment, everything rots. I mm-hmm. am right, Brett. Yeah, um, well, I'm, for those that don't know, I'm from Washington. I grew up in Gig Harbor, so I'm quite familiar with your growing, uh, uh, let's say, uh, climates here. Uh, for me, of course, we know in the Northwest, mold is very prevalent in our plants. If you're dr- growing sativas or trying to grow them outside, it's too long of a season, and, of course, you'll end up with moldy plants. So I gen- generally speaking, if I'm going to grow outdoors here, I try to find either an auto flower and or an earlier flower. Earlier flower sometime in the middle of September towards the end of September. Um, for, for all those out there that are familiar with uh, sticker bushes or outdoor growing around here, which is quite synonymous with growing outdoors, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the strain called the Pez or the Goo, which has rocked this place for a long time. So um, that's what I would suggest as far as if you're going to grow outdoors, indoors, of course, uh, powdery mildew, and of course, mildew itself with condensation buildup. Indoors is a huge problem here in the Northwest. So keeping uh, dehumidifiers, keeping your room at the proper uh, humidities. I like to roll between 30% and 50%, no more than 50%, no lower than 30% humidity. Um, And uh, try to really keep control of the room, closed rooms, um, that's really kind of, uh, you know, the, the thing. If you do get powdery mildew, a, a cheap kind of a quick way, by the way, we've been doing it up uh, the past few years up in Humboldt. We've been using the leaf, the, the, the actual leaf from the cannabis plant. We've been taking the leaf, grinding it down, and mixing it with water, just pH water, and the mold has literally disappearing off the plant. Now, just think about this for a minute, you guys. Just, this is off topic, and I'll be done here. But imagine if, if Dr. Courtney, there's a doctor up in uh, Mendocino using and telling people to juice leaves, the natural leaf, for your body for health. So why wouldn't it work for your plant? So just try it out. Take a little bit of the leaf right off your vegetative plant, break it down, and then add a little bit of water to it and spray it on your mold. I'm not, you know, do it for a test. But from our results, unbelievable, unbelievable. Interesting. I mean, they do use, but that's interesting. It's like a botanical extract made with cannabis. And all that, again, is just the leaf off the vegetative plant. It, 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 I can't believe what we're seeing, but totally black, black uh, stalks or moldy stalks. Take the leaf, rub it on there until you're introducing it like you would on your skin. The raw leaf, just rub it up and down on there. It literally takes the black away and it brings almost a new skin. In about two weeks, the skin will be thicker and th- there will be no more mold there. Um, interesting. And back to that process of uh, acclimation that Scott was talking about, it's kind of a misnomer in a, in a, in a uh, small-scale world that we deal with a stage one, a stage two, a stage three. And the process he's talking about is hardening off. So it's just acclimating that little cutting to a mid-stage environment. So realistically, there's a stage one, be it clone, two being hardened off, 
three being uh, uh, flowering, and then four is actually flowering. And stage five is kind of like that later stage of flowering. So if you've got a huge warehouse, you can't keep those new plants that just came into the 12-hour environment and treat them like the plants that have been on 12-hour environment for six, eight weeks. And so there's a completely five-stage process, but it's always about acclimation to the new environment. And you're talking about a perpetual harvest where plants are in different stages of life throughout uh, a Absol- warehouse type, type a- a- environment. Absolutely. Five distinct different environments. And what, um, how, how are, what are ways that to control environments in rooms that are that big if you're talking larger than, let's say, 10 to 20,000 watt grow lights? Well, first of all, what I'm investigating is not producing the heat and stuff from those lights to begin with. So, you know, it's all about efficiency, cost of production. So if you don't create the heat from the light, you don't have to get, you know, X amount of tons to cool it down. So air, proper airflow, proper filtration, everything else. And Does that mean keeping the ballasts in a different area and using absolutely, digital, absolutely. digital ballasts? Digital and... ballasts or even in some environments like a hardening off stage, you might use an induction light or a high-grade high LED or something like that just to minimize the heat, minimize the power consumption. So thus lowering your cost of production. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the seminar, but we have to pay our bills in order to bring you free weed. And in order for you to get your own free weed and also to pay your bills, you should check out bcnorthernlights.com. These guys make grow boxes using the best possible materials and uh, constructed very well. They have a number of different grow boxes and different options you can get. They even have drying boxes and cloning machines. So check them out, bcnorthernlights.com. You can call them at 888-236-1266 pretty much any time. They are seven-time Stash Award winners for their grow boxes. Like I said, it's cutting-edge stuff, touchscreen technology, and they will actually, if you mention free weed, you can get, uh, I believe it's six months' worth of free nutrients. So tell them free weed sent you and check them out at bcnorthernlights.com. Um, well, then let's get into a little bit about the vegetative stage, which is prior to flowering, where you're building up a root system. Um, let's start with Raphael. Uh, what do you recommend nutrient-wise during the vegetative stage as far as what people should be feeding their plants at that, at that period? Um, let's, you know, from like the second week till you decide to induce flowering. Um, for me, I'm like, like I was saying, I, I'm, I'm an exterior grower, guys. I, I just recently started getting to some interior stuff, but my whole time of growing experience is down in Southern California growing for the poor man to make a decent living at the time when you were gorilla growing. So for me, nutrients is all in your dirt mixture. Um, I, I'm a firm believer, if, if I can quote you, Danny, you know, uh, the bigger the root, the bigger the fruit. So when you're outdoors, you know, you want to dig your hole at least knee deep and fill it with good dirt mixture. And personally, I make a tea with my dirt mixture, put it in a big tube sock. And whenever I find issues that I have, I look through the Jorge Cervantes book. Um, that's not a plug, but uh, I look through his book and I figure out what I have. You know what I mean? And I address it accordingly to what's going on. But nine times out of ten, I just put my sock on it. Give it a little bit more nutrients, you know what I mean, from the, the tea that I have and work it. Um, that, but I'm old school. Like I said, for me, it's old school stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said about uh, digging deep holes and large. We always talk about larger containers, um, bigger root systems, yes. make bigger plants. Yes. But you also talked about starting your outdoor plants indoors. Yes. And building them up to a certain size yes. before you even put them outdoors, and you, that's how you end up with these. That's how I overhead end up, yes. type seventeen trees. footers. You know, and what, one thing I've learned from my experience uh, growing up with. Uh, Jack Herrera and knowing DJ Short and Sub Cool, you know, and um, Eddie and everybody, Ed Rosenthal and everybody. Um, I, I dig my hole as big as I feel I want my plant to be in girth. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it, if I think my plant's going to be an eight-footer, I'm going to dig an eight-foot hole in kind of a cone-like till I get about three foot in girth on the bottom, three knee-deep, and I get, you know, nice 17-footers, 16-footers, you know, mm-hmm. but... One thing, like you're saying, for me, I, growing up in California was different. Here in Oregon, I adopted that vegging indoors because of the climate, northwest climate up here is so weird compared to you California. You have a shorter season. Way shorter. In California, we're getting three seasons. We're getting three crops down there. Mm-hmm. And out in Oregon, where I'm at from in Oregon, we can get one nice, beautiful crop, you know. Nice. Um, now, Iggy, it's the same situation for you guys in Maine. As a caregiver, you're allowed a certain amount of plants per patient. Um, what are ways during the vegetative stage that you can use to get the most out of each plant? Uh, in our state, we have a limited amount of veg plants we could use, and they actually allocated a number for plants in early flowering as opposed to late flowering, so we have to follow a strict cycle. But uh, if... you if there is no number on various stages in the plant and they just say flowering plants, then growing a really large plant might be the best way to go. But then you have to also consider that most of your lights aren't going to penetrate more than four feet down. So you don't necessarily need to produce these big monsters. If you do that, make sure that you clear the bottom area out. Um, the lower growth the on lower the branches. growth to make sure that there's plenty of airflow. Uh, going through the room and one rule of thumb I like to use is if I squat down I like to be able to see clearly across the room for the yeah two foot foot and a half for that cleared out space Um, but as far as the veg cycle goes and growing indoors um, I'd say a good place to start really is with the water and really look at what your water is are you using city water or using well water and uh, to make sure you have some good filtration and that you also spend a little time helping that water restructure itself after it being filtered. Are, and, uh, uh, are you talking about reverse osmosis filtration? Yep, reverse osmosis is, like, is a very common and uh, effective way to treat your water. The problem with it is, is that it has no electromagnetic energy anymore and ATP energy is produced within the plant through hydrolysis and the breaking apart of hydrogen and, ox- and uh, hydrogen and oxygen. So an old-time method uh, used by monks way back in Ireland and written about by Rudolf Steiner, who uh, developed biodynamics, and also Victor Scharberger, which are really interesting guys to look up if, if you haven't yet. Um, just talk about vortexing the water, and that's simply done by putting a stick in your drum and spinning it around. And uh, at our grow, we actually take the ancient technique of singing to the water. I, I don't do it. I just kind of watch them and snicker, but, but they do it. And you sing up upscale as you go clockwise, and 
downscale as you go counterclockwise. So there's literally people like, you know, and spinning to the right. It, it happens. So that's the last time. I can't believe I just did that on the list. There it is. So singing to your water. That's, actually, a new, that's a new one for me. There's actually been a study <laughs> I, about, a new, uh, about five years ago on restructuring water out of um, Japan, and I've matched the results. You use about 20% less nutrients and water the, by, by vortexing or restructuring the water. Interesting. <laughs> Can you follow that, Jeremy? <laughs> I know that was definitely great for sure. Um, I, I definitely know water is super important for a plant, especially at a young age like that. I mean, it hasn't, it's taking up. That's how it takes up all of its nutrients. That's how it's building all of its cellular structure, everything like that. So water is definitely a great place to start, um, pH in it, doing all that. Uh, one of the things that I like to feed at first, you know, uh, one of my favorites has always been worm castings. Seems like plants always respond really well to worm castings. It's hard to overdo it with them as well. I mean, yeah, it is for sure. And so, uh, you know, that's a great way to start. You know, for anybody that hasn't grown before, worm castings are going to be very forgiving, for sure. And so, it's a nice way to. And then, like he said, roots. Roots equal tops. Always. So, focus on your roots. Like Iggy said, you don't have to worry about keeping them tall. Train those things the entire time they're growing and keep those short and bushy. Keep them. The canopy, when you get down there, look at the canopy and make sure that you can see and it looks all consistent across the top, just like you're going to do on the bottom for the airflow. Make sure that the top looks all even, so that way the light is hitting all the plants evenly, um, and you're going to find better results for sure. But definitely training. Keep training your plants for sure. Well, Scott, uh, you guys are growing some pretty big plants in Colorado. Uh, how's that accomplished, and what, what is the vegetative stage uh, and the role that it plays? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been an interesting ride in Colorado for the last few years. Uh, I was just describing somebody uh, to, to somebody the other day about um, as, a, as a breeder and as a grower, uh, for many years we've been constrained. You know, like you've, you have certain constraints. You know, you have a certain number of lumens, which means you have a certain number of square feet, which means... You know, you might have only a certain vertical space, you know, whatever. Um, now that we have these 40,000 square foot, you know, 24 foot high, you know, greenhouses, um, you get to see these plants in all their glory, you know, like how, you know, nature and God intended them, um, you know, not constrained by any man's, you know, willingness to be like, oh, I'm going to stop that plant at six foot, you know. Uh, we have 14, 16, you know, 20-foot hazes that, you know, are, are just beautiful. Um, the big thing with it is, uh, you know, it's, it's root, man. How much, how much soil do you want to give them? Uh, big plant, big pot. Uh, little plant, little pot, you know. Uh, I see people put too small of plants in gigantic containers all the time, so there's never that uh, really proper wet-dry cycle. Um, so I think that's a, you know, that's a huge thing. Don't, don't let your plants get root-bound, and at the same time, don't put, them, you know, don't put them in clown shoes when they're a little bitty. You know? <laughs> yeah, so. if you guys want to see video of those plants he's talking about, we have them on hightimes.com, and they're, well, double overhead yeah, uh, I mean, for me. Which <laughs> you know, Colorado is a fairly liberal state if you're not talking about the border counties. And, I mean, people care about the environment. Boulder County, uh, when the industry first happened, 
um, implemented rules where every last penny that you were spending on your electricity to run your lights, you had to offset in wind credits. So it was like, you know, carbon, small carbon footprint. Well, now it's like, you know, it's becoming mainstream. It's becoming recreational. Like the amount of production that you're having to do. I mean, greenhouses are a smart move just from that production means, but the whole state at some point is going to adopt this, this carbon credit policy. And I mean, to offset like a 15 or $20,000 a month electricity bill, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but so you, you envision it turning to a more of a greenhouse type uh, light oh, yeah. deprivation situation yeah, to reduce the cost of production. In the last year and a half, we've seen uh, nine facilities that are over 40,000 square feet, a uh, mill and a half plus, uh, you know, big, big funding. Um, you know, what people are learning now is like, how do you deal with all that? How do you deal with that weight in the dry and cure and trim? And I mean, it's, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, you know, like it's a beautiful thing to have so many growers be able to transist into this industry and, you know, and make waves. But at the same time, we're becoming a legitimate professional industry. There's going to be real physicists, real chemists, real doctor. I mean, there's, you know, there's going to be some really smart people that get involved with this. And, you and know, accountability. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of accountability is coming. So. Right. And I think uh, cost per production, whether you, you measure it by the gram or the pound or the ounce or whatever, has to come down. Oh, and it has. And I mean, it, it has in Colorado. It, in two years, I mean, and for 15 years, man, 350 bucks an ounce. Like, that was the deal, you know, for nice, you know, well-grown herb. It never changed. It, it was just always the thing. Medical industry comes along. It raised up just a little bit in, like, the first two or three months, and then just the bottom fell out of it because all these production facilities came online. So now you see ounces for $99 that are just, you know, I, I necessarily wouldn't touch it. But, you know, 200, 250 bucks, man, you can find something that's, you know, definitely on par. Um, you know, once the recreational comes online, $50, you know, that's what we're going to be looking at, man, $50 ounces. And I, and I love that. Like, you know, it's a great thing. I mean, know, it's, it scares some people. It, it, it scares a it hell scares out of a lot people. of growers. I mean, that's the, that's that fear that we have of like, you know, losing your, your sustenance, your job, whatever that's been supporting you. But if you're adaptable and, you know, you realize like this is a, a movement that's happening in the U S right now where we're seeing the end of prohibition, you know, like that's a huge, huge thing. And, you know, for people to be able to choose a $50 ounce instead of a $50 fifth of Jack. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and as long as you can produce a quality product, you're still gonna, you still can make a living growing great cannabis. And that's the way it's going to be. I mean, everyone's afraid of these large corporations. But this is like a, you know, a fine cigar kind of market where if you can produce the best product, it doesn't matter if it's... You know, I mean, you'll, you're, what you're going to see is you're going to see it just like the liquor industry. You'll see your your cores, your Bud Light, and then you're going to see your home brews, and then you're going to see that super high end, super mm -hmm. high end. But people have a choice as to what they want to consume, exactly. and if exactly. you're a connoisseur, aficionado, medical patient, whatever you may be, you're going to want the highest quality product. And I think that that's one of the differences between our you know, industry and maybe alcohol or some of the other ones is that there's a true connoisseurship and uh, kind of aficionado quality. And on that note, I actually want to ask 
Kay about some of the things you've been learning about terpenes. Um, we know a lot about THC and CBD and uh, CBN, THCA, all these uh, cannabinoids and compounds uh, within the plant, but it's the terpenes that give it flavor. And um, a lot of us actually believe that the terpenes do enhance the high as well. So can you tell me a little bit about what are terpenes and what they do? Well, terpenes are the essential oils that are responsible for flavor and smell, as well as the entourage effect that accompanies THC and CBD. And they're just a little vial is the most incredible thing you've ever, ever smelled. I mean, it punches you in the face. And one little, I've got one little vial like this that came from about 75 to 100 pounds of cannabis, and it's all condensed in that one little vial. And I believe that it does have the oxidation properties, maybe tumor shrinking capabilities and things like that that we really extol in cannabis, I believe, is in those terpenes. And it's a fascinating thing in that uh, I think I addressed a little bit yesterday that I think that soil composition and nutrient application also influences terpene production. So I think that's something I really, really highly encourage people to look into because um, I think that's going to be the, 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 the new world of products is, is going to just be isolated pure terpenes in their total, totalized form. And so tailoring your plant feeding regimen for essential oil production? I believe so. I believe so. I believe in the future that well, once we have, everybody has the access to those pure terpenes. I believe that maybe somebody gets up in the morning and they just want the pain relief and the flavor and everything else from their cannabis, but they don't want to be impaired. So maybe they hit a vape pen that gives them true, true flavor of exactly whatever, lemon kush, tangerine, whatever flavor they want but maybe with only a 3% THC, but they got all those cannabinoids or terpenoids and they've got some accompanying cannabinoids and maybe later in the day they want a 90% or something like that. So. Hey, sorry to interrupt once again, you guys, but I know if you're going to want to grow out some of these plants, you're going to need seeds and you can get those seeds from Gorilla Seed Bank. That's G-O-R-I-L-L-A dash cannabis dash seeds dot co dot uk or you can just google gorilla seed bank you will find them they take phone calls 24 7 they sell all kinds of different seeds from many different seed banks they retail throughout the world so check them out they are an a wonderful sponsor of the show if you check out their website there's a phone number there you can call as well you can take take a look at all the different seeds that they sell and they've always got uh, great customer service and freebies and all kinds of uh interesting prices and very discreet so check them out stealth shipping gorilla seed bank tell them free weed sent you and you will get free seeds i've also heard people say that uh the terpenes are kind of what makes the high interesting and that um a pure thc high isn't doesn't have that cerebral quality that we're looking for sometimes in a sativa and that sort of thing. Do terpenes play a role in that as well? Absolutely. Besides the entourage effect, I think some of you have noticed that, uh, say, a shatter concentrate tastes less wonderful than a, than a butter. And what's being happened is those, those terpenes and terpenoids are being lost by a vacuum pump. <clears throat> and once you put those back on, I mean, it just it brightens the flavor. Everything else changes. Interesting. And, and can you just uh, elaborate a little bit about the process by which you're isolating those terpenes? So basically what's being utilized in today's market is just a vacuum drying oven and a vacuum pump. And what's happening is the the terpenes are being vacuumed out of that oven and put into the pump oil. So I'm capturing them in between with with an isolator and a uh, capsulator. 
So I'm working with Across International to develop that equipment for the market right now. Wow. <laughs> you guys, there's a lot of science and a lot of really interesting things we're going to be discovering about this plant in the next few years. It's people like Kay uh, and these guys who do the breeding and the growing on a large scale and uh, some of the laboratories that are doing the testing now. It's pretty amazing what we're able to accomplish um, in just a few years. And now, as these states are going more legal, it's going to be even more interesting along the way. Uh, Brett, I want you to tell me a little bit about the production of the Kaya Kush and, and, and how that came about, because that was a, really a great, amazing Kush uh, variety. Well, it, it really kind of, in a way, put me on the map. It was my first large international win. Uh, prior to that, my first international win was at the IC420 Cup, actually, with the Pez from Washington State. So it's always uh, nice. That was back in 2003, 2004. But the Kaya Kush, um, I got that strain, the original OG from a buddy of mine down in L.A. Uh, you know, everyone knows kind of the story uh, THC from uh, Adam Dunn, uh, MK Ultra. That's the fame of that. And then into Be Real. Uh, I think the story kind of rhymes around the area. At least uh, seems to kind of hold up uh, when you tell it to a few other people. Uh, from that, I was blessed with that strain and took it up to Northern California uh, and started working with that uh, along with Grape Ape when we created that strain as well, which has went on to win many awards throughout the world. Um, but anyways, we really, we took a liking to that strain. It had very high, of course, THC and medicinal purposes. We were working with a lot of groups up there, Dr. William Courtney and a few other uh, doctors up in the area. And um, we were just lucky enough to get the right phenotype. Um, and it really has, uh, due to a little bit of legality on my end, sometimes, you know, us pioneers got to do a little bit of jail time every once in a while. That's just how it works, you guys. Someone's got to serve some jail time for you. Uh, but anyways, uh, uh, hey, jail's okay. Push up some food. It's not so bad. So uh, anyways. Don't forget the <laughs> sacrifices that these people made for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Just a few. Just a few. Some are still in jail now, so. Yeah, and let's not forget them. Good call. Good call. But uh, so anyways, but uh, through that, we were lucky enough, uh, of course, to uh, win. And uh, hopefully this year, uh, we have finally come back out uh, with our C production. For everyone that's out there, there's uh, two ladies out in the back. They've got our books and all our promotional stuff. They got their hands are waving around. So a little shameless plug for Apothecary Genetics. We've got 26 OG varieties coming out uh, this year. It will be the largest Kush strain in the world. It will be available worldwide uh, from selective wholesale distributors throughout the world. Nice. Nice. Um, question for Scott. Um, Let's get into flowering a little bit, and I want to talk about the unique uh, things that you have to do when you're flowering a haze. Uh, I know, you know you've made your name with the moonshine haze and this, the uh, uh, bunch of different, the OG ghost train haze, which is actually our strongest strain of the year, I think, right here behind me. No, oh, that's the head cheese. That's the 2013. But yours actually tested higher than that, 25.7%, I think, or something like that. Yeah, 25.49. The OG Ghost Train Haze. One of the things about sativas is that they have a longer flowering time. So I guess uh, tell me a little bit about feeding sativas during flowering. Uh, It's all about how much light you have. Uh, Sativas are a light, you know, they're always light whores. You need tons and tons of light if you're not able to do them outside or in a greenhouse. 
So 100 watts per square foot minimum. Uh, 120 is even better, which is a ridiculous amount of light in a three by three space. Um, you know, and then just go easier with everything. You know, I see a lot of growers tend to, you know, overdo their phosphorus, overdo the nitrogen, you know, just pump, pump the plants the whole time. And uh, sativas are, you know, like nice, elegant ladies. And you got to wine them and dine them and caress them and, you know, treat them right for a long freaking time before they put out. So, um, you know, it's the way it is. <laughs> um, um, so... Yeah. So they, they're light-loving. They need more light, you would say. Always. Yeah. You know, like a lot, you know, the number one thing you hear with sativas is, you know, uh, you know I, see, I seem to, like, not prune out the inside of my plant, and I get these little, like, you know, clusters of male flowers. And it's like, well, you know, if you're not seeing equal amount of male flowers throughout the plant, it's not a true herm. It's a stress hermaphrodite. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, prune that inside out, increase the light. 99.9% of the time, you don't ever see that again. i got to say, that seduction was spoken like a true southern gentleman. So <laughs> yeah, thank all right, thank you. Thank you. The, thank uh, you. <laughs> it's interesting that you talk about uh, underfeeding and underdoing it because it's, it's very easy to overdo it. I find yeah. that a lot of people overdo it. You end up seeing um, burnt tips on the leaves yep. uh, a lot of times in the photos that we get for high times. And that's just basically a symptom of overfeeding, which is going to make the bud burn improperly as like well. A charcoal brick. Uh, yeah, time, like know? a piece of coal, you yep. know. And so I do always recommend to people, you know, always try underdoing it because mm-hmm. it's a lot always easier to go a little more than it is to take anything away. Yep, most um, definitely. When you do overfeed your plants, you end up having to flush them out with plain water and starting fresh. And you can lose a week or two of your growing schedule, and it's all, all, almost always never going to be the same. But if you underfeed, you know, maybe it'll go a little yellow, and then you give it a little more food, and it greens right back up. You know, so, a, 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 the number one way to check to see if you ever overfeed, overfeed your plants is, you know, four to six inches down on the main stem. If you ever get this big red spot, you know, like all the way around the stem. It's not purple. It'll be like a burgundy red stripe that you get on the on the, the main stem. Uh, you know, you've locked out the top of the plant. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of the same way, you know, my man is, is here on the end. I, I love dirt. I grew up growing dirt. I'm an Alabama boy, you know, f- farming, that whole thing. Um, but at the same time, I, I have a science background, you know, I was a biology major, I'm a welder, you know, I have degrees in metallurgy and all that. So I I like to tinker, I like to mess with stuff. Um, soil, you get to a point where, you know, you kind of reach that perfection and it's all just, you know, loving the plant and maintenance. Um, you know, I do hydro, I love hydro. That's kind of my, you know, my guilty passion, my guilty secret and, uh, you know, most of my personal stuff is all hydro. So I, I run a ton of different newts, uh, d- different lines, you know, ebb and flow. Uh, half the time, the other half the time, I'll do drip to waste, um, you know, aeroponics, custom built aero. You know, it's just, you have to, you know, if you love this plant, man, you want to see it perfect in every single way that you possibly can. 
And uh, aeroponics is where you're misting the roots with yeah, a like fine... The roots don't, don't rest in water. They're suspended. They're getting missed. You, know, you get explosive growth rates when you do that. Oh, man. You get, you know, most people don't know that, but that ghost train haze that tested, you know, 2549 was a, a custom-built era setup that I did for Southwest Alternative Care in Colorado. Uh, I ran it with advan- real, real basic advanced nutrients. Um, it was some of the most ridiculous looking weed you'd ever seen. Like it, it, it was just trikes, you know, like the, you couldn't see any leaves or calyxes or pistols or anything. It was just trikes. And when, but when you're running a system like that, it's like driving a race car. You have to be very aware of yeah, there everything. Ain't, there, there's no taking vacation. There's no like, oh, I'm going to get up and going at noon today instead of at, you know, 830, like. You, you do your job. It's science. You're a scientist. You know, you, you run it professionally. Cool, cool. Well, um, we're going to take some questions from the crowd. I believe you're going to do some crowd work. We're going to do a little crowd work. We've got about 10 minutes left, uh, so we want to make sure we get all your questions. Flag me down if you have a, a question. Anyway. Like answered by this panel. Anyway, gang. All right. That's Don Rickles. I just want to ask what, uh, what they felt about solar power. Solar power for grow rooms? Solar power for grow rooms. Okay. I, I love the concept of right now just to run, you know, a building this size, you would need, say, a football-sized field uh, production facility of just solar panels. And it's just not really uh, feasible at this point. But, you know, there are alternatives. If you have a smaller garden, by all means, if it'll power that 1,000-watt light, go for it. And, and outdoor cannabis has a negative carbon footprint. It actually sucks carbon dioxide out of the air and creates oxygen. So... Uh, you know, obviously indoors when you're using grow lights, you're going to be uh, taking away from that. But outdoor plants, greenhouse plants, actually have a negative carbon footprint. So um, yeah, any, any chance you can get, use that giant grow bulb in the sky. Greenhouse is the way of the future. I mean, you're going to see... Greenhouse uh, is the way to reduce the cost yeah. of production, but you have to supplement lighting inside the greenhouse. Yep. You have to be able to control the environment inside the greenhouse so you're getting the best of outdoor, which is all the sunshine, yep. and you're, but you're also getting the best of indoor, which is the ability to control your environment, keep rain and wind and bugs and mildew and things like that away from yeah. your plants. As I said, we currently produce between 250 and 300 pounds per month for the Ministry of Health in Israel with better and canned pharmaceuticals. And that's what we do, supplemental lighting, and just there, there is no better way. We're producing for 50 cents a gram. Yeah, and, and Israel is actually, they've been on the cutting edge of, of hydroponic uh, uh, development since the 50s and 60s. Ian Getty Institute uh, was one of the first to develop uh, drip irrigation systems, the modern version that we use now. Um, and it's amazing that they're doing that because they also are uh, ahead of the curve as far as PTSD for veterans goes. Everyone in Israel has to go into the army and... Uh, um, so they use cannabis for post-traumatic st- stress relief, and I think that's really important, and I think we have to definitely address that issue here as we have a lot of veterans coming back and suffering all kinds of uh, problems due to what they had to experience, and I think cannabis can play a role in helping them, and so kudos to Israel and Meshulam and all of them for doing that kind of study because um, it's way beyond due. And Dr. Rick Doblin and Dr. Sue Sisley are trying Maps. to push that program here in the United States, but they've yep. been stopped by the federal government, by NIDA. DEA won't 
actually license them to perform that study. So it's, it's funny that our soldiers can go to a foreign war, get shot at, and die, but they can't consume cannabis to fix themselves, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, it's a shame. Um, but things are changing, and you guys are a major part of that. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt again, but I want to tell you guys about a wonderful new vaporizer. It's called Grasshopper Vaporizer. They are a sponsor of ours, and you can check them out at Indiegogo.com. They have a campaign there, uh, only four days left in their campaign, and you can contribute there, and you can get these vaporizers. They look just like a pen, very discreet, uh, very interesting technology that they used. You can watch a video there at Indiegogo to check them out. It is Indiegogo.com slash project slash grasshopper dash vaporizer, or you can really just go on Indiegogo. That's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O, and search for Grasshopper Vaporizer. Check out the video that they have there. Check out uh, the different ways that you can fund them, and definitely get in on this because it's cutting-edge technology, and it's happening right now. Uh, any more questions, Mike? Yeah, we got a question from David here about humidity. There's a company called Boulder Light. They actually sell uh, they sell uh, solar panels along with their version of a thousand. They're Boulder Light, and we sell them. So feel free to contact us. But you can check them out on Boulder nice Light or us at Mangrove.com. Thanks, Iggy. <laughs> nice plug. Here's David. I live in a warmer climate, and I was wondering what would you guys keep the humidity for curing? Humidity for curing. Mike. See, I would, uh, when you first started, I would probably take it down to about 30%. Cure it for that, um, maybe like, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks probably, and then maybe not even that, but and then bring it up to about 40 maybe 50% from there. Be my suggestion anyway. I think ideally what you want to end up with is about 25% of the moisture retained and 75% right, right. yeah. or so removed. Um, you don't want used, it completely bone dry, obviously, because right. it'll just turn to like powder. And <laughs> don't point. use paper bags or anything like that. Use glass jars to cure. Uh, it's very important that you don't impart you know, that cardboard paper kind of flavor into your buds, especially after you've gone through all the trouble of Growing them and flowering them and trimming them and all that. Danny. Mike? Danny. You might want to, that might work if you don't have, you know, larger grows. But you're not going to be putting everything in jars if you have thousands of pounds. So, <laughs> yeah, Dan. So if you okay, have thousands of pounds. I guess sure. So how do you cure thousands of pounds? Well, bro? that's what I think this panel was up here talking about. <laughs> how we're developing ways to be able to cure larger amounts uh, without having mold or pesticides or whatever that could infect our crops. So how about a giant jar? That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we do it, giant jars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. I'll, I'll speak up on that one. Colorado, actually, uh, under the med laws that we have, you have, to, uh, you have to follow the plant from its cloning to its harvest for that patient. So they have RFID codes that travel yeah, with man, the plant from seedling uh, to harvest. Either a barcode, yeah, seed to sell. So there's either a barcode or there's actually a, you know, a chip that you know is detected throughout the building that follows around with the plant, and it even goes into the curing and you know and the, and the drying aspect. So 
Um, you know, every once in a while you see stupid turkey bags. You'll still see uh, giant, like, uh, food-grade screw-top five-gallon buckets. I mean, you see everything. But I've seen a room with 2,000, 3,000, two-and-a-half-gallon ball jars with two guys who do nothing all day long but, like, organize, like, librarians weed, you know, in jars, you know. Um, I actually joked one day and said with all the freaking reality shows that are out, they could do, like, a Jar Kings just, you know, with these guys, and it would be entertaining as hell. But, um, you know, they create not only, uh, you know, a good supply of what is going up to the shelf, they create demand, too, man. They'll hold back cushions for a couple of weeks and get all the people like, oh, I got to, you know, I got to have OG. And then there'll be one week of, you know, a full cush. But the biggest thing is, uh, you know, is the curing and how dry you get your herb. And, you know, in Colorado, we're kind of blessed. You don't have to, you don't have to use de dehumidifiers. It's just, you know, how long do you want to leave it on the hanger? How long do you want the sweat? And then seal it up, you know? All right. Very good. So we only have time for a couple more questions. So let's go to a lightning round situation. Here's Blake with a question about temperature. Yeah, just wondering what your temperature difference is between day and night. If you, if there is one. Okay. You want to take that? Uh, 65, 72. That's pretty much keep it in that range. Don't let it, you know, there's no reason for it to go above that or anything else. So that's pretty so much So 65 close. nighttime, 72 daytime? Uh, 65 daytime. It'll rise up to 72 at nighttime as long as you're not getting high levels of moisture. All right. Hey, uh, we have a question over here about sound frequencies. Have you guys ever experimented growing with different sound frequencies? I have seen units, uh, particularly in NorCal, where they were doing like the uh, spraying, uh, the misting the plants, and then they had a machine that was creating some kind of sound frequencies. Do you I, know? What? I've, I've seen in NorCal, same thing. People kind of do uh, wind chimes, and so they put wind chimes out in the trees, and the the chimes will kind of sing to the plants as they're growing and stuff like that. I don't think it could hurt. <laughs> But, I like uh, putting uh, The only way that it can hurt is if you start focusing all your energy on things like that and forgetting about things like watering and pest maintenance and the really, Morning really... bird calls. If you have the time after you've taken care of everything else that you want to sing to your plants, you should do that. But uh, don't let it hinder you from putting the uh, major things before the minor things. And those are the the... You know, the links of the chain, things like humidity, temperature, light, those are very important. And then things like the music that the plants listen to are slightly less important. I hear you. All right. Uh, so we only have time for one more question, but stick around for our 4 o'clock seminar. It's uh, legal issues, so if you'd like to get into the, uh, the legality of marijuana, stick around for our 4 o'clock panel. And uh, here's one more question. Uh, yeah, are hermaphrodite plants from uh, genetics or from environment? All right, I'll let one of the breeders. They can be both. Um, you know, it depends on how bad you're seeing it. If you're seeing, you know, a few little clusters that sporadically only happen to your plants every once in a while, like it's something you're doing to it. Uh, if you see a plant that every single time you grow it, it grows bananas, and you know, more more often than not, equal a number of bananas as it does male or female sites, that's a true harm. Uh, once again, a lot of plants, I mean, they're meant to be outdoors. They're meant to be under the full lumen of the sun, which is, you know, it's a lot brighter than any bulbs that we ever have. 
Um, so a lot of a lot of in my belief, a lot of the hermaphrodism that people see indoors is just the light stress, you know, not getting not getting enough lumens. Mm. Um, in our greenhouses, man, you don't ever see it, you know. And people really freak out about uh, plants that hurt me. But if if you have a long flowering sativa, a twelve week sativa, and at the very very end, when it's twelve weeks along, it makes a couple of male flowers that don't actually they they pop out so late that they're not even able to do any damage. It's not the end of the world. I mean, uh, I wouldn't breed with it. Yeah, that's what? It's stress as well that causes that. And, uh, you know, there's like Southeast Asian strains and African strains that just tend to be more hermy. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not a possibility for growing. It just means that uh, if they're going to do it late enough in the game that they're not going to do damage, it's not the end of the world. And a lot of times you'll see that uh, via the genetics with a lot of the feminized strains I've seen. Sometimes yeah. with the stress, they'll just show that tendency because of the way they were created and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. yeah but certainly you wouldn't want to breed with them. All Amen. right, well, we hope that answers some of your questions. If you have other questions, you could send them to freeweed at hightimes.com, and Dan will answer them on that podcast. And uh, let, let's give a hand for this panel here. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I hope you guys learned something. Um, Free weed, that's the important thing. Hightimes.com slash free weed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the name of the podcast is Free Weed, but the important thing is that we all work together to free weed and to free the prisoners that are still locked up. You know, everybody knows about Eddie Lepp. Everybody knows about uh, Mark Emery, but there's a lot of people whose names we don't know that are there as well. And uh, all this legalization is for naught if we don't also work hard to make sure all those people, nonviolent offenders, are released um, from jail. I think he has something to add. Forget about Roger Christie in Hawaii. Roger's Roger Christie been in there for a in, long time. Yeah. He's never been charged, and he won't be let out. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We really appreciate it. Thank you to our thank panel. You. Thank you, Seattle. Thank you for hanging out for this live free weed. Woo! Yes. All right. Well, we, we hope that you enjoyed that seminar that we did in Seattle uh, back in uh, September. Yep. I think it was a pretty solid panel. Actually, there was a second day of free weed, but we, we don't have the recording of that. So we have that one. And uh, it was really good stuff. I like when Iggy talked to, about singing to his plants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you guys, uh, if you want to come out to a live taping of free weed, check out our Los Angeles Cannabis Cup. It's coming up. Uh, February 8th and 9th in California, Southern California. It's San Bernardino. We're going to be out there, and uh, I hope you guys can join us. We're going to do a live taping of the show out there as well uh, with a panel of experts. So check us out. Uh, we, we wrap it up with Raw, right? We do. We, this is the Raw wrap-up, man. Yeah. My the, favorite rolling papers. My favorite, too. Yeah. I mean, I don't roll. It's not even close. Yeah, I don't roll with anything else pretty yeah. much. So. Uh, unless I'm on like a desert island or something, which right. is very rare. Then you'd make it happen. We're talking <laughs> Bible pages. We're talking newspaper, whatever. Sure. whatever sure. You, yeah. Right. Anyway, so this is the raw wrap-up, as Dan mentioned. Um, we apologize for two straight weeks of not taking your questions on air, but we will get back to that next week. So do send in any grow questions you have so it, Dan can answer them on the show. It's going to be our 50th episode. 50 episodes, yeah. Salutes to you guys for right. uh, sticking with us. And, uh, yeah, this weekly format, this is going to be a nice long one. We're going to have some uh, some surprises in store, some special things for 50 episodes of free weed. Never thought we'd get that far. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Impressive. 
That's really cool. Uh, also, you know, uh, it is now the the semifinals in fantasy football, and Dan and I are actually <laughs> playing each other. Which yeah. is, this is incredible. Who would have foreseen that? And whoever wins this is going to go to the finals, the finals next week. Yeah. And we'll and keep you guys posted. And a lot of money posted. at stake there. Yeah. Or a lot, of, a lot of weed or something. <laughs> something is at stake. We will keep you guys posted. I'm going to crush Michael over mm-hmm. the over this football weekend. We shall see. It should be. It will be an interesting matchup, and one of us is going to be very sad next week. So be, <laughs> be prepared for that. Um, yes, so uh, definitely contact us, uh, freeweed at hightimes.com, at Danny Danko, at MyQs underscore, hashtag freeweed on Twitter. And, yeah. Uh, you know, listen, people, I'm going to be honest with you. I take a lot of flack from Dan on the social media side. Uh, I have like seven followers. So follow me on Twitter. Get me up to, I'm close to 420. Get me to 420 follows. I'll be happy about that. Yeah, yeah, I can underscore that. Mm, clever. You got anything else? <laughs> Yeah, you know, just shouts to everyone that was on the panel, um, Jacques and Winstrong, uh, all our sponsors, Gorilla Seed Bank, uh, BC Northern Lights, uh, the Indiegogo project there for, uh, for the grasshopper, grasshopper vaporizers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Raw, wrap it up with Raw. We did. We wrapped it up with Raw. That's jo- join us next week, people. 50, 50th episode of Free Weed. Yep, and this is episode 49. Put her in the books. <laughs> <laughs>